I wanted to touch on the CM CMC stuff. Yeah, we in can. the article. Sure. No, no, just oh. in that article, um, because that really is going to affect the way songwriters make a living or don't make a living. Yeah. But I, I had so many um, words. Yeah. They said keep it to this. Yeah. I didn't even, when I submitted it. I didn't even know if they were going to use it. Oh. I was okay. like, oh my god. Yeah. They ran it. Yeah. The same day I pressed submit. I went to a session. I was like, wow. I was like, who knows, you know? And Huffington Post, like, it's hard to get on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I pressed submit, and I went to a session, mm. and we had like a little email check, you know? Yeah, yeah. We don't yeah. like to check all day. We're like, okay, every hour we'll just check in. I'm like, oh <laughs> my god. Yeah. They ran it. I and was then just... before you know it, thousands of people are reading it in, right. in like 48 hours, right. kind of thing. It's... Now the one I post posted since then was certainly not as controversial. Right. I didn't expect to get. 3,000 people liking it on the yeah. page, which which means that's how many people liked it, not how, many, how many people, people read, read it. it. Yeah. So, um, but that was a really great opening. Yeah, to yeah, find yeah, yeah. people who wanted to just talk about stuff. Yeah. Well, the CMC thing was interesting, and I, 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 I'm, I'm at a loss for what the CMC stands for. It's the Council, Council of Music Creators. Creators, okay. So, for those listening that remember the Brad Parker episode, I met Brad and Shelley the same night at this meeting of basically composers, songwriters, just music professionals concerned about... Streaming. Stream, well, streaming. And here's the thing that's interesting, and no one touched on this that night, and I want to get your take on it. Because um, this is the one thing that I always think about in, in regards to this. When I was a kid, and I was getting started out, everyone always said... Keep your publishing, kid. Publishing is where the money is. That's the one thing you'll always be like, you know, your, your mailbox money, you know, whatever. And I always would think like, wow, the publishers, they'll always be strong. They'll never have a problem. And now with streaming, it's the first time in the history of the record business where even the major labels that own the major publishers, they are like cutting off their nose for the streaming revenue and going like, hey, uh, well, we own all this publishing, but it's just not going to work out that way. Like the streaming, the streaming revenue, which no one talks about, is actually really good. Now, I don't know if you see that or if you participate in that because I, I don't know if you own a label. I don't know if you're if you put out artist records. I, I think you. I do not. Right. No, the streaming revenue is good. It's just that the per percentages that oh, songwriters get yeah. is ridiculous compared to what. Well, today is an interesting so, day to touch on yeah. that because today, I, as an ASCAP member, I got my statement for whatever you know the this particular royalty statement, and on Facebook, within hours of, of friends of mine, composers receiving their statement, the first thing everyone posts, hey, I got three dollars right. from iTunes Radio, I got forty eight cents from Good. from you know Pandora. Everyone's right. noticing. Well, everyone's noticing, and it's bad. It's really bad, but what people don't talk about, and maybe I'm trying to be like devil's advocate here, it's like, hey, you know what? This business changed. And when it changed, personally, for me, I started a label. I released my records myself, and I dotted those I's and crossed those T's. And for the first time, like, since the 50s, independence, I get the same payment that Sony gets for my streams. Mm -hmm. I, I wonder why... I understand. This is the first why time I see. Why everybody doesn't do that? Well, I wonder why everybody doesn't do that, and I also wonder 
this is the first time I'm seeing publishers ever feel the pinch. They're really getting pinched for the first time ever. It's the first time, 10 years ago, if I sat down with you and I told you 10 years from now, there's going to be internet streaming revenue that you're not going to participate in. You're going to get nothing. What would you have said? <laughs> no way, man. <laughs> you know, people um, were saying that. 10 years um, ago? You know, to be very honest, when Napster came onto the scene and started changing the way people were getting paid and mm -hmm. not getting paid. Oh, not getting paid. That was all right. not getting paid. But yeah. so, so that didn't have to do with, with, with the same thing we're talking about now. But mm -hmm. I was in this fog because I had just had a couple of number one songs. Yeah, massive. And so I was not really paying attention to reality. And about um, it's amazing what some massive oh, success will do for I you. I was just in this fog. I'm also a lefty, yeah. so I'm like right-brained. I'm mm. not thinking in, in terms of information and numbers. I'm thinking I feel great. <laughs> That's it, you know. I think so, I'm a lefty too, and I just don't. But know okay, well then you're lucky because it took me years to really pay attention. Mm. And um, somebody had called me. We were doing a radio interview, and he was talking about. Napster and he said, you know, did you ever do the math? Like figure out mm. with this formula how much revenue you lost on that one song. And I was like, no, you know, no. and I got off the phone and I thought, you know, let me let me let me yeah. do the math. Right. And I thought, oh my God, as much as I incurred, mm -hmm. as much income as I made, there was so much lost and I was okay. I mean I wasn't okay with it, the principle, but I mean how it affected people who were um, didn't have a big hit, who had been used to, as I was before a big hit, making a living from album cuts. Oh yeah, just simply So that's cuts. a whole other thing, because well, yeah. albums are... So um, it took me a while, even, and I have to tell you, Adam, at that CMC meeting, it's very complicated. Mm -hmm. The um, the path and the landscape and the pies they showed us. I, if you said to me, okay, sit down and explain exactly how this works or what's different, I, um, I could not be very articulate. But yeah. I know from the statements mm -hmm. that um, either a writer does what you do, change your business model, mm -hmm. because, um, or you're going to be in this position unless we get so if there's strength in numbers we have to you know the um the cmc and bmi and ascap are trying to change things mm. in washington but copyright laws have so much to catch up on right. and there's so many label lobbyists um representing Streaming companies, um, Spotify and um, help Beats, me, Pandora, all that, that iTunes Radio. It's almost like we can't compete. So we might not be able to change this even if we get everybody to sign. Right. The it's the petition that's trying to change the um, details of the dissent, uh, the consent, consent decree. Yeah, it's decree. really a dissent decree. It is. <laughs> so um, spoken like I, a writer. If I were. To be perfectly honest, if I was just starting out in this business and I knew exactly what was going on as I do now, I would definitely change the way I run my business because right. if I want to make a living, I'd have to. Right. And, and I mean, to speak to that just briefly, I mean, 
if I was starting out in this business, I think the way I would look at it would be what's my end game to get to my own vodka or my own headphones or my own brand that is just music is a portion of, of something that, you know, look at DJ culture. DJ culture now, which was kind of almost laughed at 10, 15 years ago, now sets the landscape for a lot of pop music and, you know, actually we'll speak about what you wrote about uh, programmers as producers, you know, uh, in your in the blog piece that I, I, I seem so obsessed with. But, um, <laughs> Thank that, you. <laughs> no, but I mean, honestly, right now, if, if I was a young songwriter, I, I don't know that I would focus, the song itself would, for me, would be, how do I attach this to something much larger for me down the road where I literally have my own vodka. You know, it, it doesn't seem like the song itself is the end game. No. It's it's but it's that's a, one sad of the ingredients. Well it's very it's very sad in a lot of ways. And I don't just think it's a question of the rack the lack of revenue, you know, from streaming being shared. Because my, my actual own personal opinion of the way that that will play out will be that whatever the piece of the pie that exists, the amount of money will stay the same amount. They'll just carve out. More. It'll just, yeah. So I don't see, I don't think ultimately you as, as maybe a non-master rights or, you know, master copyright owner, your rates might go up a bit. But I think the grand sort of lump sum of money will stay the same. I don't know how, I mean, and there's really a ton of it out there, but. Unless we get enough um, passionate, well, not passionate representation. Mm. It's passionate, it's, effective it's, representation to yeah. go down to DC and explain why, like, like the streaming services are dividing things as per, let's say, mainstream radio does. But right. radio deals with music and advertisement yeah. and other things. But the right. streaming of music services, the only thing they're dealing with, the only thing they're putting out there is music. Right. So the argument is um, the creator should be getting more of the pie yeah. than perhaps they get from radio because radio is not just... No, so, radio is advertising. Right. You know, it's 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 exactly. driven by advertising, and it's much like TV or you know the the same kind of thing. the The thing that's interesting to me is at what point the Spotify's you know iTunes just bought Beats, so that means within a couple of years, Apple will I I can see Apple becoming easily the number two or number one streaming service in the world. Everything's just too bundled into the devices and too connected. Beats will, as a brand, is incredibly successful. And actually, I don't know if you've ever used the Beats sort of streaming service. It's good service. Mm -hmm. It's actually a great service. But at what point do the, the... The interesting thing, and Brad and I spoke about this, but he's really right, is that ultimately the people making the most amount of money are the service providers for the internet. You know, the, you know, the Time Warners and the AT, AT&T U-verse. All of their ability to charge everybody monthly fees to, to gain access to basically content that's made by us. We make the content that they're charging $100 a month. That's right. But they're not paying anything to that's anybody. Right. They're just... Do we, you have to remind me of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's 
you know, and so, but, but so, Adam, what are you saying? You, you know this, yeah. and it's absurd. It is incredibly absurd. And, and so, but, but you're going to adjust the way you plan your future. Yeah. So good for you, and you should. Yeah. But in the meantime, I think every creator should, and I'm not somebody to stand on the soapbox, and, you know, yeah. that, I, I, true, true to form, I've written a book, and that blog about the songwriter's pie on Huffington Post was not exactly the thing that defines me no. or defines my book, mm. but I care about it very much. Mm. And I did sign that yeah. s- to go to ca- the CMC yeah. um, thing online and sign it because the more creative people we can get to to sign, I mean, you don't have to pick up your butt and get to Washington, D.C., but, but at least put your name on the document right. that's going to help the people that do the footwork speak on your behalf. Right. Are you familiar with, um, there's another organization, it's, it's run by a friend of mine named Blake Morgan, it, it's called I Respect Music. Have you looked? Uh, no. Uh, right, I so know BMI and ASCAP are all over this too. They are all right. over it. Uh, Blake has actually done something I feel like goes a step beyond them mm-hmm. because it's not as contentious. It's literally like um, they figured out a way to spend nine days in D.C. with specific representatives from states to get them... Who's set, they? Who's they? Uh, the, uh, Blake and, 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 and the I Respect okay. Music like contingency. So, whereas ASCAP and BMI seem to constantly be going to court and, and actually sort of losing, I feel like Blake has been going and meeting with representatives and actually educating them as to what really goes on with us on a day-to-day basis and what's happened. And it's kind of incredible. I only bring it up because I'll just put a link to it and just, Mm -hmm. you know, it's another one of these things. I think if there are dozens of these things and people are signing all of these petitions, all the awareness raises, but honestly, in the course of a conversation like this, we're not going to solve any of these issues. Right, but we're, you know, getting the message out and raising awareness here. Yeah. And, you know, back up a little bit when Mm -hmm. it, I find the whole thing so sad because... I mean, I, I'm in a different kind of position. I feel like, you know, I still love writing songs. Right. Um, but for me, everything is gravy from here. I've had a good run. Certainly I'm not like Diane Warren or Dr. Luke, but I've had a couple of hits that um, that I can survive on if I'm careful. Right. But I still love writing songs, and I sit down and I do it for the passion of... The experience and I love songwriters and I just you know it's like my oxygen yeah yeah um so but if I had to start out feeling this way which I did many years ago and think well I can, I'm not going to be able to have a successful career and support myself on how passionate I feel about this right. which is what I did yeah all I did was well, I felt passionate about my right. craft and I went on the ride and it worked so I didn't have the kind of mind to think about, okay, well, I can do this, but I also have to work toward my vodka and work toward my <laughs> headphones. I mean, yeah. I love vodka, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to that be, wasn't your motivation. I wasn't an entrepreneur. Right. Um, I was all right-brained. You yeah. know, obviously you... And um, I, I think, look, that's just going to invite different kinds of people to the table who can write and be entrepreneurial perhaps or hire people to do that for them but it's going to be and it is really hard for the person who just you know wakes up and says 
I'm going to be Bob Dylan or I'm going to be, you know, Joni Mitchell. This is what I do. This is what I live. This is what I breathe. And it doesn't have to be about branding another product or representing another product. I am this music. And that's, that's just, we, I don't know if there could be another Bruce Springsteen right now that could still be around in 30 years. Right. Um, Well, yeah. If you look at the current landscape of artists, who would you put the, you know, who would you put your money on to be like, oh no, they're around, they're I a generational 30-year run. And there are some run. artists who I really, really love, who, you know, I really get into, And but it's, it's true. It's not just because of them, it's the state of the ADD, it's the state of the here today, gone tomorrow. Look, I'm part of it. I couldn't live without my gadgets. Yeah. I'm totally toggling between right. screens. There are some great things about being able to do that. I'm, I'm able to do in four hours what it used to take me four days to do. Right. It's just, you know, I'm not trying to judge it. I'm feeling for it. Right. And I, and I'm, I think and that's great. To be yeah, true, I'm of a generation that can be nostalgic because I've, I was there. And there there's good things about technology. And I don't want to say good and bad. There's... Um, Ways that technology has helped me in my in my adventure, and there are ways that technology makes me very nostalgic for the ways it was before it. Okay. You know. Give me an example of the nostalgia for the way things were before. Yeah, like um, you know, uh, I wrote this song handwritten with David Gamson and Julia. I love David Gamson. Help me, help me, Julia Michaels. Okay about how, you know, write it down, don't send me a text. The Miranda right. Lambert song, Automatic. Yeah. When things took time, right. when everything... And, and again, I love that I can... I mean, first it was email, now email is formal, then it was text, now texting is formal, now it's Facebook message. I mean, like, you just yeah. have to think something and it's going to be... I mean, we're going to be able to beam ourselves places. I mean, there's, there's yeah. it's fantastic, it really is. Yeah. But... I feel that, you know, there's just not as much human connection. There was a video, you must have seen it, going around on the internet called Heads Up. Uh, I think it was called Heads Up. (laughs) Somebody sent it to me um, via Facebook a couple of weeks ago. It was a very clever sort of non-urban rap by a British white guy talking about get your heads out of your gadgets right, look right, at the right, eye right. Con- you know you used to walk down the street and you'd catch somebody's eye and yeah. there'd be a connection there right. and maybe a half hour later you'd actually be having coffee with them on Columbus right. Avenue because you made eye contact there's um but we're in our you know yeah, it's yeah, yeah. social networking is great but it's not social it's just no. not social it's, it's not. something else it's... which is wonderful but so you know so I'll use it but there are days that I just go okay today I'm just going to put my phone in my pocket and I'm not yeah. going to take it out because um, I'm just I'm nostalgic for we used to sit in sessions and for you know the four hours nobody checked a phone there was it was it all about we were so that, yeah. immersed in the plot and the yeah. angles and you know i i once had a almost a falling out with somebody that i feel kind of bad about because it was the beginning of when everybody started checking stuff and all he was doing was checking his gadgets and i was like dude yeah, cut it out you know yeah. we're ha. Huh? but yeah. i catch myself checking in 
now. And I want to reach back to him and say, you know, you were just like a couple years before me because I'm doing it too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, look, yeah. I'm trying to roll. Yeah. I'm trying to roll with the changes. Yeah. But, um... It's funny, you you know, I wanted to, you, I heard you say David Gamson. The very first session I ever worked on where there was a computer in the studio uh -huh. was with David. Mm -hmm. Luther Vandross record called uh, Comeback. I actually heard it on the way over here today. And it made Isn't me think funny? of Gamson. So the that fact that you're bringing up... No. And he's literally a genius, like, programmer, genius producer, yes. incredible, like, you know... But he's more than... You know, program... There's... Programmer is not a dirty word. I mean, no, not on any it's, level. It's know, a specific task, though. That's right, and um, you know, a lot of producers are programmers. I just, yeah. I prefer to get in a room. Look, if I wrote a song and somebody needs to hire a programmer to give it a certain flavor, that's all good, and I've got money to donate to that cause. You sure. know. Um, and I think that there are certain times where if a programmer is in a room with me and we have agreed to write a song that day, that programmer is songwriter. Sure. But for me personally, I would rather get in a room with a producer who happens to program who also has a good radar for um, is that a good line I wrote or could it be better and please right. tell me. Yeah. I will not please I need to know if my line sucks right. um, and also some of them even can sing and some of them can't but some of them could pick up an instrument I just need I need more than we're gonna loop this track because yeah. really it feels like and the tracks already written right to it right and yeah. and and a lot of times those guys or gals but mostly guys they can't even go into the track and restructure it or change a major chord to a minor chord because truth be told they may not they, know the difference between the two to begin and with they might have a, they might have a partner yeah. in london right who did the track right but they're not in the room so yeah. the part the other partner is with me and they don't know, they know how to press play yeah. so i mean it's all good it's just it's the just choice the of who you want to yeah. to have this experience with a lot of tasks get lumped together now that used to be unique tasks. What I was thinking about when, when I think of programmers, the way that they actually function now sometimes is the same way as an arranger. An arranger used to be someone, you would write the song. Song would be brought somewhere and an arranger would say, hey, you know what, let's get an alto sax, a trombone, you know, uh, a tenor saxophone, I'll write this counter melody again, you know. That almost seems like a job that doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist. The, well, the labels but, used to hire, really, an outside producer. Yeah, who would um, then, Or who would get the arranger, and they were paid a really nice fee. Yeah. And such a nice fee that they didn't feel like, I better start writing songs because I'm not... And listen, yeah. there are producers who write amazing songs. Absolutely. But there are some producers who, who can't. No. And... Um, but and, everybody, and, yeah. sort of everybody is because those third-party producers aren't being hired. Mm -hmm. um, there's just, you know... There's a small amount of them. It's more mm -hmm. of a, not a one-stop shop. Let me, the labels, you know, they want to go to the producer who can also write, who can get the songs, who can do the whole thing. It's just a different kind of journey no. to a song, and a, to a record. Yeah. The tasks, I mean, I really strongly feel that the tasks over the years have just been, you know, it's sort of like this jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none kind of thing, where, you know, 
a lot of producers, like you were just saying, like, all right, I was raised by a producer, you know, m my father was at Atlantic Records in the 60s and early 70s, like producing those records. And he would be the first person to tell you, I, I can't find one. Like, I don't even know, like, what key we're in, but I know when the song works for the artist. Mm -hmm. And I know when the artist is being really difficult and how to navigate them through their anxiety. And I know which musicians will work right with the right people. Obviously, over the years, all of that has changed because even just the concept of studio musicians is alien at this point. But, you know, it's interesting now that I think of producers and songwriters and programmers and arrangers and artists. A lot of times what I'm noticing is that a lot of these people are a little bit of all of that. And it's interesting to see the morphing of it because I think some incredible music comes out of that. But it's also very challenging when you're maybe rooted in a certain thing and you have to kind of sail the seas of change, That's so to right. speak. Which, and you know, to be perfectly honest, I think if I were 20 years younger, I wouldn't have as many thoughts about no. what's going on because I would no. have been born into no. it. So, no. you know... I don't think all of this is generational for me, but certainly a lot of it is, and um, I'm okay with that. An yeah. examined life, I'm having a lot of really great self-discovery, It's and, and it's my choice. Do I want to stay in it 100%? Do I want to write a lot less but do it on my own terms? Do I want to... I've gone from five sessions a week to maybe one session every two weeks, but just wow. really, really, mm -hmm, writing. Would not but, think that would be the case, but you well, know, things change, and you, you know, you have different interests, uh, you have different focus. I'm writing my book. Yeah, and that's been and that's five a sessions a week. Job. Yeah. but I still, you know, wake up and if I don't write a song every so often, I feel depleted. I feel like I'm not nourished, so I do. And I'll do, and I do take chances. You know, I if I get together with someone and I'm not having a good time, I don't get back. I get together a lot with David Gamson, and sometimes there'll be a newbie in the room who's just got a lot of ingredients to throw in the cake, and they can sing, and they 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 remind us of the new business model, and it's sure. a lot of fun. And they're right. they're down with us, and we're down with them. Right. How dated does that sound? Uh, um, no. So <laughs> and sometimes I'll take a chance. I'll say, Who are these? These new people that my publisher recommended, I don't know, but I'll go because sometimes you just never know. But I do it a lot less. If I did it every day with the new rules, I think I'd be, I wouldn't be happy. Right. So I, I still do it just a lot less. And I'm, I found something else. Like my book to me is your vodka. <laughs> you know not, don't I mean? look at me. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> I needed to, me. to do it's my book to me. Yeah, I needed yeah. to do something, yeah. not something else completely, but something also. Yeah. To to direct my passions to, right. and um, it also takes a little bit of entrepreneurial stuff because you can't just write a book and say I've written a book. Let me put it. There's so much to do, um, as after you write the book to. Oh, to sure. work it, yeah. but um, it definitely, you know, it, it, it's, it is somewhat generational, I know it, but you know what, I, I wouldn't trade where I come from because I had the Bruce Springsteen's and I had the Joni right, Mitchell's right, and right, I, right, 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 I had all that, the Bob Dylan's, like I, oh my God, I go in my car now and I, I hear, you know, 
the whole satisfaction or something and I'm yeah. just blowing it out the window and I um, I'm on fire the way and I know it's partly because of that's where my roots are and I equate it with my youth mm. and what lit the fire under me you know but but so well, half of me says is it that or is it just that it's really great you know yeah. I don't, you know well I think it's always a combination of everything it's never one specific thing yeah. but you lead me to a point that I wanted to ask about which was you know 18 year old Shelly right writing songs playing piano like what what is your early path in, in knowing that you're going to become a songwriter? Were you in bands? Did you always write songs from when you were young? Uh, you know, what leads you to, to our lovely industry? Uh, you know, um, you, family in the industry? No, None. Okay. None. You know. But my parents loved music. They, okay. on the weekends, I'd wake up on Sunday morning, it was either Man of La Mancha or Fiddler on the Roof or oh. South Pacific. They were always playing musicals. Right. Um, Incredible songwriting. I mean, yes, really like, you know, defining. I could never. Yeah. That's too, I could never partake. It's too clever. Uh, it's too smart. I could really? never do it. Yeah. Uh, Not too in a bad way. It's just right. above my head, but I enjoy it. So they weren't musicians, but they loved music. Um, they they bought me a little piano. I was writing songs. I didn't even know they were songs. I'd hear a melody, and words would occur to me. And go, oh, these words kind of sound. I'm going to sing them. And then I started writing really bad songs. I never thought to myself, I'm going to be a songwriter when I grew up. I just, I just, I'm a lefty. <laughs> I yeah. was just waking up you know doing my thing I didn't really have a plan and um, it wasn't until I, I'm such a late bloomer in so many ways I'm into fashion that was two years ago because I haven't gotten the memo yeah. but things have changed and then like oh we're back into high-waisted now mm. you know I just yeah. I'm not really paying attention everything for me is very peripheral right. so but I just I kept writing and then I went to college and didn't do music but I kept escaping to the piano room in the fine arts building because right. that's what I really What did you do? Loved. I studied fashion design oh, okay. and merchandising. I came to New York and went to the garment district. I said, what yeah. am I thinking? I, yeah. I don't, you know, did you I, I love to, No, but I almost, I almost transferred there, or? but I didn't. But my freshman year of college, when I was going to transfer to FIT, I yeah. developed this huge crush on this guy. And I said, Mom, <laughs> rip up the check. I'm staying. And then I must have written over the last 30 years about, you know, 100 songs with that one person in mind. Because right. if you have a muse like that, it can last forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I came to New York. I started going down to Bleecker Street. Then I said, I want to do this. And I, I still, I don't think it really, I, I kind of knew intellectually that not everybody that was writing, that was singing songs on the radio wrote their song. Right. But I sort of thought they were. <laughs> I don't Boy, know. I not? think everybody. Yeah. So um, I found a couple of songwriting groups. I'm like, oh my God, there are people out there that, that have the same, yeah. same disease. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it started having a little bit of a journey. I started a band. We didn't get signed, but from that band, publishers would come and they'd say, you know, 
or producers would come and they started using songs for their artists. I got signed to a tiny little publishing company and I thought, let's be realistic. I would love to make my own record one day, but I like coming home to my village apartment in New York. I like hanging out with my cat. I don't really want to travel mm. all over the world as a, I mean, I want to travel, but I didn't yeah, want to didn't have want to, to do what I might have to do. And so I started writing for other artists, which was hard, but it wasn't this hard. It was, mm. you know, if you wrote a really great song by yourself or 50-50 with, some, with somebody and um, a Don Grierson heard it or a Clive Davis, they would just, I'm yeah. going to use this. Yeah. You know, and there weren't a lot, as many gatekeepers and the camps. And well, what I notice now, and you touched on this, is that I actually naively didn't even think this existed, but a lot of guys that work at publishing companies manage songwriters. So that they then in turn kind of, it's not a conflict of interest. It's almost it's like a, a foot in both places. It's a foot in both places because I think they know they need the security of both places because both places are fickle. So why not double down? It's almost like a music supervisor that places music in films that they he or she interested. then in turn have interest in. Right. I know some that do that. Some say, hey, that's not ethical. Some, you know, there's, you know what? it covers I, all, you know. I get that, Adam. I get that. And, and desperate times call for, right. let's be, you know, have some ingenuity. I just wonder when... Well, you just so, said gatekeepers. That's what, that's what prodded me yes. on the thought of, like, you know, I'm sorry. So with, with all that in mind, yeah. and with um, our artists getting to hear... the cream of the crop songs that are available. If they're being I, I would say handpicked no. yeah. by people with certain interests. Now, a lot of these insiders who are signing their own writers are signing really great writers sure. with really great songs. Right. You know, I, 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 I want to write a song like that or I would love to write with them. It's not that they're signing untalented people right. it's just that perhaps there's this song that's out of left field that has that is so remarkable but we'll never get to see the light of day maybe it will if they sign up in one of those situations and maybe that's what they should do if the right. new writer comes to me and says how do you how should I what should I do yeah. I suggest that at this point in their very young life they consider doing that yeah. you know well, sure yeah. But I just wonder if some of some really remarkable songs are ever going to have the chance unless they're really inside. circulated. Well, I remember, listen, when I started out producing and I started out like not being just a session musician, I once I said that I was producing and I actually started producing artists on majors that, you know, publishers were like, "Hey, she sells 2 million records in France." All of a sudden you get at the time a stack of cassettes from every publisher or a stack of CDs from every publisher because they're like, hey, you check it out. You know, you, this might be perfect. We don't know, but check. my father would sit me down and say, listen, listen to everything that you get because it's you, you really need to... The just, needle in the haystack. Well, do you know the Kenny Rogers story with the guys on the, on the tour bus? Uh, you ever hear about how they found the gambler? 
No. Every night after gigs, they would listen to the cassettes and just get stoned and laugh. And laugh. Yeah. Well, one night they found the gambler. And Kenny was like, that sounds pretty good. I think it turned out okay for everyone involved in Mm -hmm. that scenario. But, I mean, to get back more on point, it's just... I think now that what I notice that I get are, well, here's a, here's a beat, here's a, here's a track, and then I get this thing, and this is really weird, because for about 15 years, and there's a reason why I never met you, I didn't work on, I stopped working on records and pop stuff, I strictly did composing or my own artist things, and that was it. I didn't write with people, but in the last year, I started getting called for things, I would start writing. And I would say, I don't, still don't really write with people. What I do is I get sent things and I either fix them or add a bridge. Oh, song yeah, doctor. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah. a song doctor. I'm Winston Wolf. It's, uh-huh. it's Pulp Fiction and I'm Harvey okay. you know, Keitel. And actually, I kind of love it yeah. because if you're, my real thing is, hey, I'm an arranger. I can hear something and I can hear where things might need to go or variation. Or uh, Someone sends you an eight bar an eight measure phrase and they only have one la la thing that's not a song i'm sorry it's not a song yet so anyway long, well just long story short just to speak to this whole gatekeepers and what's out there i think there's a lot of little great idea there's too many ideas out there there's not enough i don't think artists are getting sent like here is an entire song just recorded from someone playing piano and singing and here you know Think about what this could become for you as opposed to, here's a finished thing. Here's a copyright as yeah, opposed to a hit. Yeah. You know, I do think the pendulum is swinging a little bit. Really? I think people are getting a little worn out on the similar yeah. sounding thing. I mean, look at, is it Sam Smith? Stay with me. I mean, I mean so that kid's been everywhere. Simple, so simple, but every line. And now, this is terrible for me to say, did he write that? Was it given to him? Did he write it? He probably wrote it. I, we can look that up. Okay. I don't um, think so. You don't think he wrote I it? I think there's, it's another one of those. I'm going to take really? a guess and say six people were involved. Oh. I don't think, because I'm Sam thinking, Smith is also really? on that Disclosure track, which is three or four people, that incredible uh, Latch, you know that song, yes. Latch? Incredible. That's the first mm-hmm. thing that kind of broke for him. Right. And then they... He's everywhere well, right now. Well, let's find out about that. But that song is just, okay, so, so even if it great. wasn't, it's so simple. But, no. you know, stay, we want to stay, say something was just, you know. I'm looking um, it up, I'm breaking okay. our rule right now. <laughs> no, it's all, it's it's for the cause. Um, even if there were 20 people on that, my point is, it's so simple and it's so soulful. And I think, um, I think songs like that are touching people yeah touching a place in people that hasn't been touched in a while you know what i mean it's almost like well i don't want to compare it to what i'm thinking you know like if you haven't had sex in a while and all of a sudden someone touches you in that in that Mm. place um and you know i've heard i've heard this from mike daly and my dear friend susan koch who both profess that, profess in a good way, who have a theory that when the economy is bad, people like to go to clubs Mm -hmm. and celebrate and they just want to hear songs that make them want to party to forget about 
how bad things might be at home. Happy when, days are right. here again. And they think about, they sing about affluence and and um, and all, uh, things that they don't so, have. So their contention when, is when, well, when the economy gets better, as it appears to mm. be, then people can withstand songs that are heavy okay. because they're not in such dire straits. Right. So they can deal with the breakup song. They can right. deal with the broken hearts. Mm. And I don't know, I feel like I've been hearing um, songs, more interesting songs on the, on the radio that are deeper than they have been, let's say, in the last few years. I don't know. I don't know if I'm hopeful. I, right. I, I always say, I would rather hear a song that makes me cry rather than a song that makes sure. me dance. I'm the minority. Right. Well, but that's not the case in the last 50 years. I, I, it's the okay. internet connection's too slow. Uh, I can't get to the answer. But, uh, um, I mean, the argument I, I make, uh, not argument, I just, you know. The conversation. Uh, the conversation <laughs> I make against that is that, you know, there's always room for both uh, and if you looked at the depression meaning the Great Depression of the 30s into the 40s you had a war you had you know the worst economic collapse of you know even including the 2008 you know like collapse with Lehman Brothers and everything I mean that songwriting is a little different than say uh, you know I'm, I'm calling timber you know like you know whatever. that song was very clever though yeah it was actually... really clever when war wrote it I don't know if you know that story but it's they, they didn't write that song that's written by the group war oh I didn't know the whole melody is totally oh they changed the words they totally lifted it uh, and they're in the you know as usual there's another lawsuit but there are discussions there, there, yes there are other conversations <laughs> other than this one but no I, I, it's weird because it's I think right now, in terms of songwriting, there aren't a lot of the songs that make you feel sad. I, the, Rihanna has a song that I think is incredible, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I have nothing against her, but I generally don't think of her as someone I go to for great songs. But what that's Stay. Stay's incredible. It's amazing. That's really and she's, a great she's song. She's got some great you know, other yeah. songs too, you know. But Adele to me is the Adele was you know yeah, my chasing pavements. I was like, oh, yeah. I don't know what this means, but it makes me feel something, yeah. and I want it, and I have to hear it. Um, Lord, I think yeah. it's so interesting what happened with her because she sang. She was embraced and rewarded by the same community mm-hmm. she actually took to task yeah. in Royals. Yeah. But she There's did it so cleverly, yeah. she used the same laundry list formula in her song yeah. that she took to task yeah. because it's so um, catchy using a laundry list formula. Right. And just when you thought that everybody was going to heed her words, and some people did because her song, after her song, I didn't hear anybody else ever again say, put your hands in the air, okay? Not for a minute, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I haven't. However, um, who is it? Um, Iggy. Mm, Yes. Comes out with Fancy, which to me is like actually doubling down 
on the anti-Lord message. Yeah. She just comes out with all no. the, the laundry list of bad behavior again, yeah. which, you know, I, I love it, that song it, too. It's just keeping the balance. When you say there's yeah, like yeah, yeah. a little from Conley and a little from Columby, it's all good. But I think that that Lord song, I think that Royals really got people to step back and say, look, yeah. look what's happening here. All it takes is one song like that to make uh, you know, every label go like, we need something like that. Right. And then there's 15 people That's actually right. saying something. But you know what? Then every songwriter sat down to write a song like Royals, but it's not, the it's same not going to be her again. It's yeah. going to be somebody like, um, like, um, like Iggy. Yeah. Who says, oh, everybody says, we're looking for this. We're looking for this. But actually what yeah. breaks yeah. something completely opposite. I'm glad you touched on Lord because I have noticed a trend in pop music making fun of itself to such gigantic success in the last three, four years. Psy, who are these Norwegian guys that did the joke song, This Is What the Fox Sounds Like? Uh-huh, uh -huh. I mean, Lord in a way... Parodies, like parodies. Yeah, but, but whenever in the history of songwriting and pop music have there been that many hits in a row that are making fun of, and I, I hate to say it, it's really the Dr. Luke school. It's making fun, I, listen, I know him for 25 right, years, yeah. I'm allowed to say whatever I want about Luke, but you know, it, it, it's like, guys, enough of the go to a club, forget who you had sex with, it's gonna be a part, like enough already. How many times do we write the same thing over and over again? Sigh. I, have you ever read the translated lyrics? No. It's all a complete, it's totally like you're spoofing. It's a total spoof. Every single aspect of And he's actually a really talented musician and like uh -huh. great, you know, programmer and producer and went to Berkeley, you know, in Boston. He's like a really trained guy. I think he saw his lane and said, hey, this is the, look at me. How else could I make a, a hit? You know, I'm, I'm going to have to be funny about this. But it is interesting though that times in a certain way have gotten so disposable and stupid in a, in a certain kind of way that there there's actually a genre, subgenre of pop that is making fun, fun of, of pop, pop. I've never seen that before. I mean, there's not like... Well, it's a, also like all the media and the internet and how fast it can circulate. And right. Nobody has to put it out. That somebody could just like yeah. upload it and, you know, work it. I, I just, I wonder how... The next generation of songwriters are moved and even because I think in a way Iggy writes that song because she's just like maybe fuck her. yeah fuck her oh, or, maybe, really? or maybe they don't I how about maybe they didn't even think of that as making fun of pop like they're like well she's doing this whole thing of like you know I don't have postcode envy which cracks me up because postcode is not even a term used in, in the states like in most countries but you maybe she's saying like, well, all right, you brooding little dark thing. I'm still gonna party. Like basically, right. fuck her. You know, it's that's a like, good song title. Yeah, yeah. I'm still okay. Gonna, I yeah. don't care. I'm still I, gonna I, party. I, I'll give you a beat for it. Yeah. Um, I just think it's interesting. You know, the 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 end of the day, there are always gonna be people that sit down at a piano that's or right. with a guitar it will or be with me. a synth. Yeah, and they're gonna write a song. But still, I do. I want to speak more about sort of, you know. You start placing songs and you start learning about the business side of things. And I'm sure over the years you've moved from 
you've moved around from company to company, maybe different publishers or different, I don't want to get into dirt about, I don't do mm-hmm. that, but I'm just saying like, when did you, what was the first thing you had where you're like, wow, like we just got a cover or I just got this on any artist, it doesn't matter where you're like, I'm, I'm really in this now. Like, wow, like this isn't just like, well, I hope it works out. Like when, boom, what's like oh, the, oh, oh, that start, that, that's like, oh my God, I think I could be like, a songwriter. Yeah. Um, my first recording went on an album that sold three million records. Wow. And I thought, it's all downhill cool. from there. <laughs> right. I thought, oh, this is going to be great. What, what was Albums that? sell like this? Yeah. Taylor. Taylor Dane? Yes. You worked with, was that Rick Wake? Did you? Yeah. Uh oh. Yeah. It's hanging Rick, somewhere here. I don't know. It's There's so, so many three... gold and platinum records. Oh. I feel like I'm at the Hit Factory. Well, that's another discussion. <laughs> because, you know, up until about five years ago, I'd write with people and they came in and they all had one of these too. Yeah. And it was like, oh, cool. I have one of those. Cool, yeah. cool. Now I write with young people and they come in and they're like, oh my God. Yeah. Because. Oh, this doesn't exist. It doesn't way exist anymore. anymore. Yeah. And labels used to if you were on an album that went platinum everyone they bought yeah. you the album yeah. but now with 10 people on every song they can't possibly yeah. afford to do that so you have to buy Only your if own. They own the business that made that's right <laughs> entrepreneur well, yeah so it was i it was but but it was a long so road which taylor, to Dane? taylor it was the her very first album it was the oh. one that came out with the single it was tell it to my heart yeah yeah and yeah. i didn't it wasn't a single I had a song on that album that sold three million records, and I was able to quit my job. Yeah. Because I had one song on one album that sold three million records in the States. Right. And then it and did some other another, stuff. Yeah. And I said, okay, you know, that was the universe. If you ever read The Alchemist, yeah. when you really believe in something strong enough, and the universe will jump into the current with you and make it yeah. happen. Yeah. And now of course I was lucky and I went um, I remember I Billboard wrote up the album I talk about this on my little website interview where where they actually mentioned in that little critique about carry your heart it's the star you know one of the star songs I was like oh my god I'm gonna have a single I went down to Bleecker Street with Evan Lamberg who at the time now he's you know head of Universal Publishing at the time he was um I think he did like tape copy stuff for the Holly Green at Joe Bat. Holly oh, Green, wow. who I also yeah. love to death. Yeah. And um, he said, you know, Shelley, just let's put this in perspective. It's great that it's on the album and everything, but you know, Joe Bat had this writer that um, after he had his first song recorded, it wasn't like he didn't get a, a single f- until like eleven years later. I was like, oh, Evan, yeah. that's ridiculous. Ridiculous, you know. If it's not Carry Your Heart, it'll be something next year. But it wasn't Carry Your Heart, and it wasn't next year. Yeah. It was eleven years for you two later that bitch came out. Are now I had songs. You had, you had covers. You had, I had yeah. loads of covers, yeah. and I had singles, semi-successful singles over singles overseas. Sure, but it wasn't for eleven years till I was driving down the hill and I put on my radio and I heard my song Meredith Brooks is that that's right gigantic hit it was you know surreal and I I think and and you know I speak about the universe because I'm I'm not very religious but I but it's sort of like I think that there's a lot of 
power and energy in I mean whatever the universe does for you you actually make right I do believe that but I feel like um, I was so humbled in that 11 those yeah, you say that this is like I say in those yeah. 11 fucking years yeah. and I was like are you hey, kidding hey, me hey watch your fucking mouth yeah. come on and I think it just really made me hone my craft and you were in the so trenches hard. you were learning right. how to do your craft that, too right i don't and care yeah you, uh, definitely the case i'd say about three months before bitch came out i mean everybody said it was going to come out but i was so like yeah 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 yeah. we'll yeah. see yeah because um, you've been there before so many times so I'm many sure. promises like, that yeah. were made in this sincerity. will be number one in france right yeah. and a lot of those people weren't lying they thought no, that it would but shit absolutely. happens yeah um I was ready. I remember going to, you know, Adam and I went to sleep one night. Not, not the yeah. Adam I'm talking to. Yeah, no, husband. no, of course. That, yeah. And I said, Jesus, I think I'm just going to get another waitressing job. I was actually quite happy as a waitress. I felt very in it's control. Fun. Very I, social. You know, I <laughs> felt like I was on a pedestal. I, you know, I think I might try to go back. I mean, I, I just, I can't stand getting, you know, I, I just need, I was ready. Hmm. And, um, but it took a long time, and 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 I saw a lot of people that it happened too quickly, yeah. and because it happened so quickly that they had a huge hit. Yeah. I don't know if they put the time in to hone their craft and to stick it out, Let and me so speak then it was to that. over so yeah. like this. I had a friend who will remain nameless, who basically I knew from just going. There was a store in Manhattan I would go to, and he just he worked there, and I would see him, and the next thing I know, he's like. Dude, I just got a million dollars. Like every time I would ever hear this, I would crack up because I'd seen this so many times as a kid. I got a million dollar production deal with you know X Y Z Records, and I'm just like, wow. Jealous? No, 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 oh. no, 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 no. First thing I think of when I hear a million dollars and production deal is there's 58 steps to get to the, like the million. next check. Oh. There's there's the hundred thousand dollar check, and then oh. there's 55 hurdles like Jesse Owens has to jump over to keep getting the check. So, but the but but the, the point one million of this, on the if you get the one million right <laughs> the there, it's not a bad great. thing. Not a bad thing. All of it's incredible. But when you sign that contract and you don't understand that to get to the really get to the million, you don't spend all of the first check on like Bono's glasses and the three hundred dollar leather pants and like so I'm like, oh my god. I'm like, I really hope you have a hit pretty quickly because you just spent the that's that's it. That's the last check you're getting until they see a lot of money, my friend. And it just it just some I you know obviously we both know we, we know yeah. some similar folks it some of these million dollar uh publishing deals and production deals have turned into empires a lot of them don't and, and I, some of the best lessons i've ever learned have always been like when i was signed by chris blackwell as an artist i was like this is it like this is this is the guy that found marley and you too and you know just everything he's done is huge I'm gonna be fine. Then I wasn't. <laughs> That's I, a good title. That's then a good I wasn't. Yeah. For yeah. your book. Yeah. And then I. Well, wasn't. no, I am. I, yeah. Then I was. I'm gonna but, be fine. No, but I the best, be. the best thing to do, like that, those, and I think I bring this up because those 11 years where you, you know, I, I, I'm a huge sports fan. I think your husband's a huge sports fan. You know, soccer. You fail more than you succeed, and you learn more from those failures, especially in our business, like. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm a hitter, 
and if I, three times out of ten I get a hit, you're I'm good. Wor- you're worth a hundred and fifty million dollars. But it's the seven times where you fail that you have to learn from. The, you know, it's amazing to me that you went eleven years and like. What were some of the artists like? I, I'm I'm more see you know you sad songs you prefer. I'm I love hearing about what the failures what you, the happy no, failures. These are not failures because if you were doing this for eleven years and you were, you, you, I'm sorry, no. The, the Taylor Dane record you made some money and I you, did. you know each thing you would nickel and dime your right. way towards an existence. So they're right. not failures. You're doing what you wanted That's to do. That's correct. But I think I wanted. A you little stardom. <laughs> I wanted to be, good to you know. Admit. And when you think about it, if there were thirteen songs on every album, right. so for every year, oh, if wow. I'd wrote a, write a song, or seventeen maybe on the, when CDs last, came out, right? Ugh. But at some point, if you throw enough confetti out there, if you get right. enough songs recorded, something's going to be a single. But no, I had you know a lot of really nice cuts that I was proud of mm. that um, made me stay in the game if I had nothing I would have left you know at the time like Natalie Cole cut something Curtis Steiger I mean I was getting you know loads of cuts Um, those records Curtis sold records that's right and and we had a a single overseas but it was like every day you know I'd wake up and a friend would say um, I have a hit I have a single I have it you know in my own neighborhood and I guess I just felt like you know. <laughs> I don't feel I don't bad for to. you. So don't feel bad for <gasps> you. You're, if you're surrounded by people having that kind of success, I mean, it's like it, it, sooner or later, it's it's it comes around. I, I mean, don't know. You know. You know, I have I have friends. I have certain friends that got out of the business because they couldn't take it anymore, and they were really talented, probably. Mm more talented than me and worked harder than me and it's just the way the cookie crumbled and um i don't think it's about talent by the way i think talent's 20 percent, 30 percent of the equation there's so much you talk about the universe persistence luck attitude right place uh, right place right time right set of chord changes with the right mouth i mean there's so many things that have to come together I know so many people that have made incredible, just unbelievable music where it's like, yeah, all right, you know, just doesn't, they don't, not everyone's meant to sell three million records on their first record. <laughs> That's pretty insane. It's pretty insane. But it wasn't unusual. Like, I'm older than you. It just yeah, wasn't not, unusual. Not by a lot. That, I bet you I've been in this, no, I've been working in this business as long as, as long. you. Well, certainly on your dad. But, um... It wasn't unusual for albums no, to go flat. I remember Susan Koch always reminds me of the time we gave a song to, I don't want to say the artist's name, and we were all bummed out because it only went gold. Mm. You know, we're like, why didn't we say that that other artist wanted to do it? And they oh, went platinum. Right. I mean, God, like, like records went gold and platinum. It was unusual for, for one not to. Right. Right. No, it's very true. So, you know, three million, I mean, that was that was. That that's was a big, really that's good. A, that yeah. was a good number. Once you got above double platinum, you're really right. talking about that's right. a real resonating massive. You that's know. right. And but, um, uh, also at the same time, remember Hootie and the Blowfish and Alanis Morissette. This is the height of like the CD introduction as a medium. Uh, 15 million, 13, 14 million. You know, like to, what was it? Uh, records would jump out. You know, you mentioned Springsteen. What did Born in the USA sell? Like oh. 20. Five million copies. Yeah, I mean, or... Celine Dion. I I wouldn't give them my publishing, and it went to twenty five million records. Oh. <laughs> but then I think that's okay. 
because I, I was writing this and that did that and that defines yeah. me, you know. But I know how that worked and you're speaking to something I think that people don't like to talk about a lot, but a lot I, I work with some of artists where in order to work on the record, you would have to give up a lot of what you did just to get in business with them. Oh, Adam. Like I... everything. And and you mentioned Taylor Dane and then and then Celine, I know that camp, and I know who was working in that camp, and it was like, hey, you're here, I own this, you're part of my camp, boom. I know how that worked, it was tough. And I'll tell you what, when I think back about how in an uproar the songwriting community was, yeah. when we had to give what, if you want to get on that record or that record, you have to give them half your publishing, are you kidding? Now, oh my God! Please, I, I killed take a half of my publishing. <laughs> yeah, take just my wife. <laughs> because now it's not just your publishing; it's a piece of your. Yeah. They get an extra name or two on the song. There used to be something called, um, if somebody that wasn't my publisher yeah. um, got me a cut, like Rick Wake used to get got me a cut on yeah. my Natalie Cole record yes he was producing her and he yeah. liked a song and he wasn't my publisher and I said you know what I'll give you a piece of my publishing yeah. it was called income was it called income involvement <laughs> it was called wait it's I like, don't want to okay, live in a world wait, with that term that's a hard it wasn't like involved it was it was called income participation okay. where somebody did you a service okay. and he was acting sort of like a publisher sure and yeah, here's, he, five, here's 5%, he, here's 12%. No, I gave him half of the publishing I own. He did not get, it was oh, worth it. Okay. His name wasn't on it. Uh, His name wasn't on it as writer. Right. I, I wrote that song 100% right. and I still wrote it 100%. Sure. But I gave him half of my publishing. And I think that that's fair because he did a service for me. Right. But he didn't. Now write the song. Now, can I? So can it was I, called. In, so nobody even considers income participation anymore, which oh. I actually think is very fair. Let's say I'm trying to infiltrate a song to the Rihanna camp, and they love it, but they want to make some money from it, and they can, and they see an opportunity. Sure. Okay, so take half of my publishing on a song I wrote 100%. Let's say, which right. I do from time to time. I'm down with that because you know what? It up because you could take another song and and you're taking mine and you're making time to hear mine and um, this is um, this is reasonable to me. Right. How how about? Uh, in I'm not inviting you to take my. <laughs> but well, I'm just no. Saying, but okay, but here's okay. So we let were me, so up let in me, arms about. Let so me push back though with that. How are you? They're providing a service. In any other industry, they would get a fee, and and maybe that would kind of be it. Rick Wake isn't doing you a favor by doing a song for an artist of theirs. You're equally doing them a service by providing something they needed and wanted. That's right. So but I always think to myself, and maybe this is like there's a pushback from other, you know, maybe another generation where it's just like, hey, you know what? Okay, listen, I get it. If I'm going to do a song with Celine or Whitney or, 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 or Rihanna or maybe Adele, they're so mega. established. They're so, mega. They're so one tenth of the one tenth right. of percent. Feet I get again it. in the room. I get mm -hmm. it. But in a lot of other instances, I would say, well, and, and listen, you just said this. You didn't give up your publishing on a song. Right. And you, you know, hey. That's right. You, you know, you, you get to think about that. But maybe, I don't know, I'd be, pr I'd be proud of that. 
I don't know if you look at it that way because you'd be like, well, there and 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 I have respect. There, for there that. is some kind of pride, and there's another part of that story that was funny. Somebody called me and said, "Listen." They love your song. Mm. Do not give up the publishing. They're going to cut it anyway. I'm telling you from the inside, they're right, going right, to cut right. it anyway. Do not give it up, Shelly. I'm doing right. you a favor. So I didn't. Right. And they didn't cut my song. But right. you know whose song they cut? Yeah. That person who yeah. told me not uh, to give it up. And it was like, and ah! Well, and this brings it's me to a point. Up. Yes. And at that CMC event that you know where we met, the first thing I thought of is this is a room full of people all competing for jobs against each other, trying to figure, in a way, trying to figure out how to protect our own rights. But everyone that stood up had a different sort of complaint or observation that still was just ultimately more about their bottom line and how they would succeed and not really trying to find... Yeah, well, if we well, all stick together for the common good, no, nobody's cause is going to be protected. No, not at all. And I don't want to dwell on that because it's it's, I think it's kind of an obvious thing. Everyone writing music, you know, trying to get an episodic TV show as a composer, trying to score films, trying to write for artists, ultimately it comes down to it's you against, kind of against everyone else trying to do the same thing, you know? And because of the technology, there's and so because, many more uh, the, creative the, the, people. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of and it, you know in, in a way like, I think Dave Gampson, who I would, I haven't seen in 26 years, and I would love oh. to see again. He's a perfect example of someone saying, "Hey, I always hedge the technology bet, and I always have been on top of the technology, but I also know how to write a song. Uh-huh. I also know how to produce, right. and I also know how to adjust." to different time periods and styles. So ultimately, I think it's about flexibility and mm-hmm. understanding the business landscape and the technological landscape and your just, you know, but relationships. The well, keeping that's the, the thing. Passion because I feel like over the past few years, I've sort of put that on the back burner mm. and said, okay, let me do it new school way. And mm. I sort of lost my plot. Right. No, uh, me, there's, there's well, how did you try to do it? Did you actually try to like you know sit down with a laptop and made lot, no like, I didn't make things. tracks I wrote to a lot of tracks right. and then I found out everybody else wrote to that same track yeah um, and I have you participated in situations where eight people write to a track and then they keep two of your lines or or two melodic ideas or th- that to me seems like something that's that, going that's on happened. a lot that's happened you know. I, I spoke on behalf of a lot of people that that was happening to. I removed myself from that situation because it was so distasteful to right. me. Even if the people were right about all these things together, make a great song, it just, the process to me did not was not fulfilling. No, how could it be? Because I, 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 no my own vision never, you know, yeah. they were reassessing it some, like it might have been somebody's publisher and their publisher was reassessing, reassessing my, my efforts before I had a chance to sleep on it or sit on that egg and then look at it myself in right. two days. Right. It was just really not good for my process. Yeah. But I forgot about the, my core and the things that moved me to write songs and I mm. started trying to get with people who were hot mm. and... Um, you know, write more track-based stuff and songs that sounded more fashionable. And I forgot what, I forgot the thing that occurred to me when I was driving in my car and just hit me and broke my heart or made me so happy. And that's the song, you know, um, I forgot that. And now I'm, I'm remembering it and it's a choice to, 
Um, do I wish I wrote some of those really great fun songs that make you dance? I do, right. but that's not my lane. Right. I cannot compete in a lane that you, is you, not my yeah, lane. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you don't want to be like in the room with a backwards baseball cap pretending that you're something you're not, you know what I mean? You I can't sort be, of do. No, you don't. And I'll tell <laughs> you why you I don't. I want to be that person. Well, I understand, and that's funny because that speaks to the same person who, for eleven years, wanted to hit. Right. You want, you know, you want to be like, oh, that that Miley song is mine, or that whatever. I get that right. because I think the lane you have been in is I want success with my music. I want my music to be heard and and successful. So I get that, but you can't pretend <laughs> that you're all of a sudden it's you and Tiesto in a room. Why you know? not? Well, maybe, and here's the thing. Would be so good. Shelly. No, I'm just kidding. But the wildest thing. This is the Gemini. Thing. This is the yeah. Gemini. Uh, all right. You're one I of those. I feel this, but I know yeah. when I when I do something that is visceral for yeah. me, you know, no wonder it hit with Bitch. Bitch was my song as much as it was hers. Right. You guys I could have really sang that if I could, you yeah. know. It was just as much mine. It was something I really felt about myself, and so did she, so it was magical. Right. And it um, worked for a reason. I mean, it resonated. It was a... It really... I remember when it came out, and I was like, oh, this is a smash. I mean, it was just like it had hit written all over it. Catchy as hell. Just perfect timing. Thank timing. You. It was timing. Perfect timing. Right, because right, right now, I think that song would be mild. Mm. No. Then people were going, how could they put this on the radio? Please. Now it'd be like, are you kidding, bitch? That's so. Yeah. That's so. I mean, cute. like, don't, so yeah, don't get me started on the message. We went from like, you know, coded like, you know, like, like little Richard was like, you know, wampapaluba, you know, all these coded messages for having sex, to like, all right, she called her a bitch, to like. <laughs> They're just talking about sex. Like, there's no innuendo. It's like, there's the metaphor. What's a metaphor? You know, like, so no, I, I get that. That everything, we live in is very relative. literal times. Everything uh -huh. is relative. And, you know, but you know what fascinates me is that, okay, there's X amount of years of, of I don't want to say content because that's a word that really pisses people off, but. Content? Well, no, you've created so many ideas. Do you ever revisit them? Because. A great song, here, here's my thought, a great song always works. Doesn't matter what the era is. You could write a song in the 30s that just wasn't right for that era, but you know now everything is about how things sound. The great song is still a great song from 1985. The concept. The concept, the melody, the changes. Do you think you have things that you've created where you're like, hey. If I package I'm, this differently. Well, yeah, here's the thought. I got an email today from a, a company that's like, hey, um, we have all this repertoire that really worked at a specific time. It's classical music, and but we're repackaging it and redesigning how these things sound for now. It's like movie trailers and things, you know, bumpers. And I'm like, if it works, it works. It doesn't matter when it was written. I mean, you know, nowadays the formula is... I, this always cracks me up. In the 80s, there were a bunch of people that were songwriters that had massive hits with hair metal bands. Do you think in 1985, five years later, they thought Kurt Cobain was going to show up and ruin everything for them? I mean, they were still... With grunge, you mean? Yeah, like they still... They were still writing... You could take those songs and... The reason why remixes work... Is because you already take something that works and you put it in another context. Mm -hmm. So I guess it's a very long-winded question. 
I do forgot you, what it was. Do you like, have stuff that you've written that you think, wait a minute, I'm busting, I'm throwing my head against the wall to fit into something. I already wrote something that would work. It just needs to be produced in, a in different, this style. Um, so, so take a song that I like already birthed and demoed and say... Um, do you have things that you've written where you're like, you know what? I really wish that one got a chance. I love this song and it's never gotten the right viewpoint, you know, right. you know, it's never gotten the right set of ears on it. I, I don't know. I'm usually, you know, you just keep I, moving forward. I do. I do have like a document on my computer with ideas, 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 lines, phrases and concepts from sometimes even decades ago and mm. I wake up one morning and I go, oh, you know, I'm feeling, let me see where I wrote that little yeah. thing. I don't usually go and repackage something I did. I might write it in a different way. Right. But to, to go back and to find the other two writers and say, is it okay with you? If we, oh, you know what I mean? Right, right, and right. also, right now, it's very hard to find in the, um, in the 90s, I would write a song by myself or I would write a song with somebody else and neither one of us might have been programmers and we would go to somebody who had like a demo business. Right. And here's we, X amount of money. Right, here's we need to hear what the sounds like. And they would demo the song and then we'd hire a singer for two hundred dollars. And that's what we did and, yeah. and we were still fifty fifty and that person had a really great business doing demos. Well, right now you there's really nobody that does that. If they do it, they think of themselves and you know they might be or they might not be as a, a programmer um, who is going to be in on the copyright or if they're technically program savvy at all they don't spend their time doing demos for other people they're participating in yeah. writing uh, writing tracks that will sure. eventually be songs so there's not so if I was gonna take something from ten years ago and say how am I gonna repackage this I'm gonna be up all night thinking about who can I talk to mm, that will understand to demo this, yeah. to just redemo this nobody really wants to spend time doing that for five hundred dollars when they could be writing their own song I think that songwriting as a craft suffers greatly because of that because now things get done and they're finished and you move on. And there's something to be said for what you said earlier. I didn't even get a chance to sleep on it and come let's back to it, it and, and say, hey, you know what? Let's change it. You know, let's change these two words. I, I wrote a song for a TV show a couple weeks ago with one of the creators of the TV show. He's a brilliant guy. And even at the tracking date for the vocal with this artist that we worked with, he was still, we had, it, we had months to sit on this thing and craft it and go back and forth and and change two words in in you know in a sentence and like I just don't you know I don't see that anymore but I do see that if there was an ability to say hey you know what mock this up for me so I can live with it in a different context and, and you know what I mean like I think people don't see the forest for the trees like I, I I would do tracks like that because I would say hey you know what you're employing me to do something that you know, I don't think that there are only a finite amount of people that can make good tracks. I think that the people that are making good tracks don't want they look down on work like that, but they don't realize that a year and a half or two years from now, their run's going to be over because they only do a certain thing and then goodbye. <laughs> Styles change. And that's mm -hmm. why I brought up Kurt Cobain and hair metal and like whatever. You know, it's like I remember my father 
talking to Lamont Dozier from, from Holland Dozier Holland from Motown, and they would always talk about the same thing. We never thought it would end. Why would Motown, <laughs> this, the machine of machines of all time, cease to exist the way that it was existing? It was the best thing ever. You know, like 60s yeah. into the... Moved to L.A., over. Atlantic Records, 1964, 74, over. All of those things. And I grew up, I mean, I, I, the reason why I think I expand, expand on this is like, I think a lot of people don't see the forest for the trees with success. They, they are comfortable. Save your money. <laughs> then, save that save million. Save the money. Save that million. Save that hundred thousand. Right, because I mean, it might have to, it's not going to, yeah. it's got to last you. Yeah, the... Something about the mindset of people that are in the sort of middle of their first taste of real, oh my God, this is really working. It's hard for them to understand that it's a marathon and it's not a sprint. And I think, unfortunately, nowadays, a lot of these kids, they, they only, they think, okay, now I'm doing this. Now I'm going to release my own water. And now I'm going to release my own vodka and my own headphones. Because this is just, it's like music is their gateway drug to bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because we're, we consume, you know, well, I don't get to, you know, I'm like, this, that was, I'm like, that's more Brad Parker conversation where it's like we start getting into like really, really kind of abstract stuff. But the, the bottom line is, is that you should, as an incredible songwriter, have the ability to say, I, I wrote this thing and you know what, we should be able to find a way 15 years later to make this song work now why give up on something you know what i mean like you wrote it for a reason that's all i'm that's all i'm saying as as an artist that has done a lot of like licensing my biggest success has always come like 10 years after i've written something. wow it's totally like you know i wrote a song in 1999 that they put in devil's devil wears prada and i get this call and i'm just like what that song is that song is very old it's like nine years ago like do you know what that is in current music business like how did they get it they just loved it. They right. uh, they had it because it was a record that had been a little successful, you okay, know, at the time, but not a lot successful. Mm -hmm. Just you know, Luke and I actually wrote. Uh, we wrote a song on on one of my like my third album, and it was licensed a ton. So I think that got in the sort of mindset of a lot of music supervisors. But honestly, I think they got this song because the people making the film were literally like, no, when we were writing the script. We were listening to this. Mm -hmm. we, we knew we already liked this song. Yeah, right. it's a very cheeky. I sing in French. It's like a little disco-y thing. It's very funny, mm -hmm. but and and written as a joke. But the check wasn't a joke. <laughs> I mean, it's it's great to be around that. But but I, I do think that like you know there's a value to val valuing what you've created and always mining it and seeing. Well, wait a minute. Well, how would this work right now? Or how would the, you? Seem to maybe not share that. No, no, no. Or, I'm, I, I, I I'm listening to you, and I'm thinking I'm gonna ponder that. Uh, you know, you never know when you're just like, wait a minute. There's one song I think I demoed five times, yeah. and indeed, I once gave it to somebody who is a renowned producer. The whole thing, and he put a track to it, and we were gonna split it fifty-fifty. And I said to him, look, if I ever take my whole original idea that I gave you off of your track and he was like cool if you mm. if you divorce the move yeah. on to something different I'm cool with that he goes just take out the little change I gave you in the bridge and I'm like fine because uh, he did 
so I, I took it out. I went back to the original thing, and I went back to a piano vocal demo. Is all I have now. Yeah. And um, a true to form. I, I I haven't rewritten the song, yeah. but I just keep putting it in different outfits. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, one well, day, so some, it's gonna yeah. be the right song in the right place. Yeah. No, I think there's always like there's an absolute amazing beauty to me to that sort of like just not giving up on certain things I mean there you didn't give up on the idea of having finding hits in music why would you give up on certain songs you know they're gonna work other things have why wouldn't you know but anyway we stray we stray <laughs> um, yes. yes that's the beauty of these conversations but um as we bring it to a close we've touched on many things and I have a lot of links I'll have to put up for people to to touch on it, it sounds to me like you're sort of focusing on your book which give me the title Confessions of a Serial Songwriter okay and we this isn't a big it's promotion. not out yet yeah and, mm-hmm. and that's what I was going to say it was fun I had an author on who wrote a baseball book that's a hit right now and I just kept joking with him I was like e- even when it's out we, our thing is we don't do the whole purpose of this conversation isn't to promote something like this is your new song right, and right. here's your seven no, that's minutes disgusting, and, right. you know exactly it's just like but when it does come out <laughs> we'll, we'll do that I mean, well no it's like <laughs> we will because the gist of this was not that right. you know it's of like course. people should have a path to things you do but um, in focusing on the book and maybe writing every couple of weeks where do you, where do you think you'll get or do you hope you get that sort of you know that scratch you need to itch or that itch you need to scratch that scratch do you... I can't believe you said that because the other day I was driving my car and my foot was itching and I couldn't find the spot you know that feeling when you can't find the spot <laughs> yes and I started writing a blog about how that relates to what I've been going through over the there last years I knew that there was something I needed to do but I couldn't find what it was it was like yeah, that yeah, itch yeah, I yeah. couldn't scratch yeah now I feel like I'm 90% scratched and um, oh. and so what was the question well the question is when do you think what do you think will be the inspiration or, or the the catalyst towards like hey I want to write five times a week I don't think I'll ever write songs five times a week again. You think you you think you feel pretty confident that that's shalom? <laughs> um, not that songwriting is, but right. that I um, I want to concentrate on less is more, mm-hmm. on really taking that one thing and making it special, mm-hmm. and writing when I f- really feel like writing, as opposed to this is my nine to five job and this is what I get up and do every day by rote. Right. And if I'm not feeling something today, I have to get to that session and pull it out of my ass. Right. You know, I want to write when I really truly feel something. Or, you know, to get together once in a while with people whose company I enjoy anyway. And in conversation with them, a song will right. Uh, right. come up. Um, and I, I think that, that the book is, is a really fun, soulful story. I can't think of what I'm going to do. I think I'll, I, I think it will come out. I don't want to be pompous and say it's going to happen. I mean, I've got well, a few avenues right now. It can happen now. either way. You know that. It, I mean, you can, well, the you can worst just, case scenario, yeah. I can self-publish, but I don't think that that's... I, I have a, enough people interested that I have to figure out the right road. Right. And who feels passionate enough about it so that I'm not going to get lost in the big... 
Mm. EMI, you know. Um, don't, so, don't get lost in EMI. <laughs> they like to pay the advance after the record comes out. Know, let's, not even, let's not even go there. <laughs> True story. It's um, beginning and end. <laughs> so that's my passion now, to keep writing when it really moves me and with people whose company I enjoy. Sometimes I will go out and meet the strangers who I know nothing about because sometimes you just never know. Kiss a frog. Um, you know, if, it, if, the, if the invitation comes from the right person who I right. trust. But um, I'd really like to get out the story. I think it's, it's relevant to a lot of people, not just songwriters or entertainment community. I think that's a backdrop, backdrop right. to a lot of what middle-aged people are going through right now with changes in business models and changes that technology have brought on how to how are they going to turn a corner with with grace and 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 dignity and still be productive and still matter right interesting interesting yeah interesting yeah the age aspect is a true it's 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 there. But I don't, what I don't get is that we're at a certain age. We have money. What do we need a 25-year-old A&R guy for? <laughs> we don't. What do you get, mean? Well, I'm just saying, like, you, you brought up when well, I first you, walked in. No matter how know, old you are, if you're writing a song and, yeah. you're, and, 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 and the 25-year-old guy is collecting songs for that artist's record, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. unless you see her at the Manny Petty place, which I would say I got a song for That's yeah, The best yeah. way is to get to an artist. I, yeah. I would have twice as many things if I could take that song and go, do you feel this? Yeah. Because yeah. when I write a song like that, once the artist hears it, it's usually a done deal. Right. It's getting there. Right. Yeah. Trickier times. Different conversation for a yes. different time. Shelly, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, put her there. We're, we're shaking hands. <laughs> we're shaking hands. <laughs>